0: Just say what's on your mind. Tell them here and let them be. Well, I got something deep inside of me. I can't hide it anymore. It needs to be so free. There's no time to. Hello, welcome to the show. I have a returning guest who's got a blockbuster story that sort of originated from Twitter, which I'll explain. Uh, Welcome back, Uh, one of my favorite guests, Trey Calloway.
1: Hello, nice to be back with you.
0: So Trey, uh, as, as we've established in our first episode, renowned writer for television and film, one of my favorite credits of yours obviously is, I Know What You Did Last Summer,
1: I, I still know what you did last summer. Yes, that's, let's be clear. I don't want to steal any Kevin Williamson's thunder. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so this story was really how this came to be was basically uh, through Twitter, so thank you, social media. and <laughs> uh, you know with Larry King's passing, you mentioned that you once had dinner with him, Frank Sinatra, Billy Wilder, and yourself. So three iconic legends and a not yet and iconic some other legend. guy,
1: <laughs> <laughs> a,
0: a not yet iconic legend, uh, all in a room having dinner, and uh, you know your your followers on Twitter are like, we got to hear this story, mm-hmm. and that's how you came to tell the story here on my podcast, which I'm honored to have you share that story for the first time publicly ever, and maybe it'll get you in trouble, maybe not, I don't know. But I, I hold no responsibility for that.
1: No, it's not. It's not on you for it's it's really it's about a dangerous combination of scotch and Twitter. So that's what that's what got me into this mess. But I I'm in it, so.
0: Yeah, so I, I just want to give you the floor and then, you know, I'll probably <laughs> ask I'll probably ask questions as we go or maybe afterwards, just to kind of like. Process yeah, yeah,
1: sure. So I, mean, I it occurred to me as I was I was thinking about telling this story, which I've you know, told in private company a number of times over the years, uh, because of its, uh, I, I suppose because of its wow factor, it occurred to me that <clears throat> it's reminiscent of one of my favorite books. Uh, there's a book that was published in the late nineties, uh, that it's called eyewitness to history. It's by an author named John Kerry, not to be confused with the politician. Um, uh, C-A-R-E-Y I think is the spelling, but uh, this book "I Eyewitness to History is one of my favorite books because it chronicles incredible moments in history, but from just an average person's perspective. So, you know, it'll be like, here's a personal account of someone in the audience during Lincoln's assassination, or here's a personal mm-hmm. account of from someone's journal during uh, the eruption of Pompeii, or you know uh here's here's uh here's a personal account of someone who was uh, a part of the crew when the bomb was dropped on nagasaki you know that it's and it's really powerful it's very moving and in some cases it's also very funny um and uh and just very personal so like this is kind of one of those stories and you'll see more of what i mean not that it was any great historic moment but it was one. It was a very rare moment where I found myself completely and utterly surrounded by historical figures, um, and I, I was literally the the, per, the person that didn't belong. But yet, there I was. So, uh, <clears throat> a little a little backstory. Um, so, my wife's father, uh, my wife Nancy's father, is a legendary and beloved movie producer named Mace Newfeld and he is he is beloved uh by artists in particular as an artist himself as a singer songwriter musician Uh, he then became a a music manager very successfully managed the carpenters and discovered the captain and daniel and jim croce and kansas and all sorts of like incredible acts and then parlayed all that experience into becoming a film producer who produced I think his first movie was *The Omen*. He produced a billion dollars worth of movies at the box office. Uh, *The Hunt for Red October* and *Patriot Games*, *Clear and Present Danger*, *The Sum of All Fears*, *No Way Out*. Uh, you know, just the list goes on and on and on. Incredible movies, and he's an incredible man. He's definitely uh, the greatest second father I could have ever hoped to uh, have in my life. He was married for uh, over 40 years to an incredible woman named Helen, Nancy's mother. She was a textile artist and just one of the most wholly unique people I've ever had the joy of knowing in my life. But she passed away uh, just a few months after Nancy and I got married. So for a period of time, um, you know, mace was kind of dating us we we were spending a lot of time with us and then he finally got sick of us and and for a brief period of time started dating someone else first time he had dated in many years he has since remarried by the way and uh, is happily married but at this point he was kind of a free agent and trying to like find his way after 40 plus years of marriage and this woman that he was dating briefly was this lovely really incredible vivacious woman named Tita Khan Tita Khan uh is the widow of the famous songwriter Sammy Khan who wrote High Hopes and Let It Snow and uh, a million other great songs including a a large number of of rat pack songs so uh Basically, he had a lot of highfalutin friends who certainly became Tita's friends and then and remained Tita's friends after Sammy's death. And so uh, when Tita first began dating Mace, uh, you know, it was definitely an adjustment for for all of us in the family, but especially my wife Uh, to see her father with someone new. This is very common for for folks who've lost parents and whose parents go on and find new forms of happiness. Uh, but we really hadn't socialized with Tita much. We had only sort of met her briefly. And so she invited us to dinner, just like a normal invitation to dinner. Hey, why don't you, Trey, Nancy, come to my house on Friday night. I'm just going to have a small little dinner party with just a couple of friends. And I, I would love for you to join. And so, of course, yeah. Okay. we love to go. Come. Should we bring something? You know, is potluck? No, no, no. I'll, I'll have everything there. You just, you, you come at seven. And uh, and we'll just have a, a nice Friday night dinner. So sure enough, that's what we did. We showed up at 7 p.m. at her home in Beverly Hills. And uh, it was only when we first arrived and we were greeted at the door that we realized there had been some uh, breakdown in communications, that the, the time had changed okay. unbeknownst to us. Uh, so we hadn't gotten that message. So we, when we arrived, we actually arrived a half an hour late through no fault of our own. But we thought we were on time, but in fact, we were half an hour late. So that's important because all of the other guests were already there and they were already seated. So Tita greeted us warmly, oh my gosh, you're late. Oh, we realized we didn't mean to be late and that we just hadn't gotten the memo that dinner was 6.30 instead of seven. And so she said, no, no worries, but let's just get you when I wanna seat you immediately because we're about to serve. So we are quickly ushered in to her dining room and her dining room has two round tables and i i guess just because she's so well versed uh as a as a socialite of sorts she she immediately split us she made the decision to split us and put us uh each at a different table all right okay and that's significant because you know if you find yourself in an anxi- an anxiety inducing moment it usually helps if you've got (laughs) someone you love and trust sitting next to you to help you deal, but neither one of us uh, were afforded that opportunity because we were split up immediately. So as we were having to deal with what was going on at these tables, we were having to deal with it on our own. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Nancy was immediately seated at a table with her father and Tita, but she was seated between uh, Warren Beatty and Annette Banning. What? His wife. And then. <laughs>
0: what a twist. Okay.
1: Yeah. So she was seated between them. And then next to them uh, were Marvin Davis and his wife, Barbara. Marvin Davis was a legendary billionaire. Uh, he had been an oil tycoon. At one time, he owned 20th Century Fox, he owned the Beverly Hills Hotel, he owned Pebble Beach. He was just a, a multi bajillionaire. And his wife were at Nancy's table. Uh seated across from Nancy were Jimmy Woods, the actor, um Jackie Collins, the 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 actress. Uh um, no, that's Joan Collins. Jackie Collins, the she's, author. She's Sorry. the author, right? Sorry, yeah, the yeah. author, yes, the author. Um, so Jackie Collins, um then, and I said Jimmy Woods, Jack Nicholson was sitting at Nancy's table, and, <laughs> and so was Tony Danza, the the popular TV star. So they were all seated at, uh, at Nancy's table. Then, so she's trying to make sense of, of where she's just landed as I'm sitting down at my table. And I am seated directly between frank sinatra and his wife barbara and billy wilder the legendary filmmaker uh and his wife audrey and seated across from us is larry king and his date for that evening uh who was cindy garvey television personality, ex-wife of uh, the baseball great, Steve Garvey. Um, Cynthia Little, who was a fashion designer, was seated at my table. Have I got that right? I want to make sure I get this right, because uh, I, was, I was so overwhelmed. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Carol Little, the fashion designer. And then uh, Cynthia McFadden, who is a legendary journalist as well. So they were all seated at my table. Um, but the minute I sat down and I realized I I had Frank Sinatra on my left and Billy Wilder on my right, I I I could barely breathe. Like I I I was not prepared for this. And when she had said repeatedly, just come over, I'm just gonna have a little dinner party for a few friends. Like, I don't know what I thought, but I didn't, I did not think, and neither did Nancy that we were going to be seated amongst royalty you know uh i had always been a fan of sinatra and his music it's hard not to be uh and just the legend and the lore that surrounded him um then billy wilder is one of my entertainment heroes i i you know double indemnity is one of my top three favorite films of all time to say nothing of you know the apartment or some like it hot or I just, I just, I couldn't breathe sitting next to this person. And it's not, these are not people that you can just easily fall into conversation with. Um, Also as a function of age, right? Billy Wilder was 89 years old at the time um, and still completely sharp as a tack, but, you know, his career behind him, his legendary career and sinatra uh was 80 yeah um and sinatra this was a this was you know joe piscopo and and phil hartman would often impersonate on saturday night live this era of sinatra he was sinatra uh, you might call it a sort of a senile version of sinatra uh, that might be fa- a fair assessment <clears throat> But I, in my opinion, he was sort of just a Sinatra who did not have anything left to prove to anyone and, right. had, and had done nothing but entertain people for 60, 70 years, and was sort of in that mode at that, in that, that late in his life, and he didn't live much longer than, than, than this evening, which I should say was, uh, was August 29th of 1995. So that, that's, that's the night in question.
0: Well, that's so specific.
1: <laughs> yeah, August 29th, 1995. And he did not live m- much beyond that a couple of years, I think. Um, but he just didn't have any Fs left to give at this point, <clears throat> right? So again, not kind of prickly pears, not necessarily easy to make conversation with. But <clears throat> within moments of my arrival and thank God for this, Larry King saved my life because Larry King, who obviously one of the, one of the great legends of broadcasting, like what he did for a living was engage people in conversation. And, and he, you could, you could tell he just sort of, it was his place in life to just get people talking and make them comfortable talking. So he was the first person to reach out, even though he was across the table from me and shake my hand and just jumped right into, so Trey, tell me about yourself. And you know, (laughs) it's, it's, it's Larry King with the suspenders and the whole thing. And, and, and so I just told the only story I could tell at that moment, which was a true story about, how I had been a, a radio disc jockey uh, at one point back in my hometown of Tulsa and I was on the graveyard shift of this uh, um, am stereo station that was very popular in the community and i half of my of my shift every night would just be me live talking giving weather and sports and and then playing music and then a couple of hours of each night was devoted to the Larry King show, which was his nationally syndicated radio show where he just interviewed people like he would do on CNN. But this, the point of the story that I told him just because like literally what else am I going to talk to Larry King about was this humorous moment in which every night I was supposed to record the live broadcast of his show on an old-fashioned reel-to-reel recorder, and then I would play it back two hours later at the time that my station wanted me to play it, and of course, there were a lot of fans that would look forward to hearing the Larry King show, Uh, but this particular night, I thought I hit the record button, but I failed to hit the record button, so when I went back two hours later to get the tape and cue it up for playback, I suddenly realized I had nothing to play. So all I could do for the next two hours was improvise and play more bad songs and give more weather and sports. And uh, I spent the next two hours fielding angry phone calls from Oklahomans who were like, hey, where's Larry King? And can you stop playing that God awful music? So I'm telling him this story just as a way to say, you know, we haven't met, but I feel as if I know you and I feel as if I owe you an apology for, for forgetting to hit the record button. And he laughed and he was entertained. But then what he would do is he would be like, did you hear that, Frank? And then he just started engaging us in conversations. And it helped. Cindy Garvey was lovely, too, and that that helped. But like and I think, uh, you know, uh, Carol and Cynthia were sort of engaged in their own conversations. So it really was down to me and Larry and Billy and Frank. And when I say me, like I'm, I'm at the obvious bottom of that pack. So every (laughs) once in a while, only because of Larry's good graces, would I be involved in anything? Yeah. Um, But Frank clearly didn't care about any of this. Frank wanted to eat and drink. And like I say, when he, when he didn't give any Fs, like it would be the kind of thing where he would, and it really did feel like Episcopo or, um, or uh, Phil Hartman sketch because he would he would finish the water in his glass and then he would look at the glass frustrated and then he would put the glass down and then he would slam the table with his hand and he would say what do you gotta do to get some goddamn water around here and and then the service would come running and refill his water and he just was irritable so i i was afraid you know chairman of the board too like (laughs) if i say the wrong thing i'm gonna wind up dead tomorrow so I I I I tended between him and Billy Wilder, even though I was terrified of either both for different reasons. Like I was like, all right, I'm I'm gonna I'm getting signals from Frank that he is could not be less interested in talking to a young idiot. So I just decided finally to engage Mr. Wilder in direct conversation, and uh, and I started by thanking him. I just I just, I, I would feel remiss if I if I didn't thank you for Double Indemnity, which is one of my favorite films of all time, but really for your entire body of work, which is such an inspiration for so many writers like myself, and he was like, "Oh, you you a writer?" He had the sweetest accent. I said, "Well, I mean, I, I I hesitate to label myself a writer in the presence of of someone as great as you, but yes, I'm trying. I'm I'm." Trying to write well tell me what you know what what is it that you are writing right now and I, I said well I, I I just sold a, a television pilot to, to Fox actually and without skipping a beat he shook his head and he said Ugh, Ugh. television is shit and then he turned back to he turned back to eating and that was kind of pretty much the beginning and abrupt end of our conversation. <laughs> so at that point, I just did everything I could to just keep it going with Larry as the courses came and went. Um, meanwhile, at her table, uh, Nancy is being uh, sweetly bombarded by Warren and Annette, who at that point had just had a kid. I think they have four kids together, but they'd either just had a kid or maybe they had twins. I can't remember. They just had kids. And they they each they had four kids together and then they each had kids from previous relationships. But uh, they were hitting her hard with this notion of why we should have seven kids. Wow. Um, which I think was their total at that point. And and, you know, here's Nancy and I. We, we had just gotten married like a year prior. So we're 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 not in that space, much less the space of, you know, giving birth to a small army. But, you know, she's like sort of trying to come to terms with that as she is, uh, you know, uh, listening to uh, Jimmy Woods and Tony Danza go back and forth over a little bit of politics. And then at a certain point, um, Nicholson, Mr. Nicholson gets up, I guess, to go to the restroom, but on his way, leaving the table he leans in to Nancy and sort of under his breath, whispers to her, Hey, you want to go out and get high? So, so now Nancy is like, I'm i I'm sitting at a dinner table with my father and Jack Nicholson is asking me if I want to go outside <laughs> in the backyard and get high. I don't, I, I don't know how to, I don't know what to do in this situation. She wound up politely refusing, but sort of hating herself for it in that moment. Um, and it was just like the most overwhelming experience where we would throw looks at each other every once in a while. And it was truly as if we had landed on another planet and neither one of us knew how to handle it. So I know for my part, as as excited as I was on a number of different levels to be there, I was also just like, can we just get through dinner? I, I, I can't, this is I'm just not worthy. I don't belong at this table. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, me, I like, I'm a fairly confident person and I don't have a problem talking to average people, but these were not average people. And I, I just, I, I felt less than average, super, super insecure in that moment. So finally, dinner ended and we were asked to uh, retire to the living room where there's a grand piano. And Tony Danza, I didn't know this at the time, I, uh, but he's a quite skilled musician. And he sat down and, uh, at the piano and he started playing Great American Standards. And people started singing along while you know drinks were being served at the bar. And Mr. Sinatra, who was wearing a, a pale blue leisure suit, polyester leisure suit, that was, you know, probably a few decades old, uh, yeah. but clearly comfortable. This was a comfort suit. Again, doesn't give an F. So he he leaned on the piano for a little bit. He had also had a sort of a stubbly white beard, okay, which was interesting. But he 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 sang a little bit. Uh, there was kind of a humorous moment where someone else, I think Mace, my father-in-law, started to sing a little forward uh one of these numbers and then frank sort of brushed him off like stop that this is my song (laughs) (laughs) and so then he sang and you know so that, that that energy started happening and then uh frank walked away from the piano and as people engaged in little pods of conversation around the bar um you know maybe frank had a few in him at this point maybe he was just tired uh, at one point um one of the staff came over to offer him a seat and he he looked at the chair and he looked at the at the person offering him the chair and he said what's this and the gentleman said well i i, I thought you might like to to have a seat i don't want a seat you want a seat you sit in the seat and then he i i watched aghast as as he started pressuring this young guy to sit down in the chair that he had brought for Frank. And, and what began to happen, I think was this sort of general awareness that like, I think everybody in that room was a little intimidated by Frank Sinatra. And so there was this, in my mind, as I characterized it, there was this little sort of game being played of past the Frank where like he would sort of come over to your conversational pod and then, People would sort of gingerly handle the situation socially and then he would get bored and then he would move off to another little pod and he was just kind of working the room. But um, it finally came to pass that as Nancy and I were standing there talking with each other and trying to catch up on our our dinner experiences and trying to catch our breaths, uh, quite honestly, I looked over and I saw just as he was finishing a conversation with some other people, I saw his eyes lock with mine. And then he started walking toward us. And so now I'm I, I sort of gently reach for Nancy's hand, and here it comes we're we're about to have a cocktail conversation with, with Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and uh and he walks up to us and mind you, he hasn't even met Nancy at this point. Yeah, but he just slides in next to us and puts his arm around her and Nancy similar to what I had done earlier with my Larry King story slips into the only story she can possibly tell that might have any interest uh, for Mr. Sinatra, which is a funny story about how when she was a little girl, her father, who again had been a songwriter used to play this song on his piano, which is an old standard called To My Nancy with the Laughing Face. It was a song that Sinatra recorded. And um, and Mace used to joke with Nancy when she was a little girl that he had written this song for her. Well, Mace didn't write the song, um, but Nancy kind of grew up with that idea in the back of her head as a young girl. And so then years later, Nancy was at a um, at a bridal shower, I think, and she was meeting a young woman for the first time. And she noticed the young woman had a bracelet on her arm that had engraved on it to my Nancy with the laughing face. And so my Nancy said, Oh, I love your bracelet. Uh, you know, that song. And the woman politely said, yes. And Nancy said, yeah, my dad wrote that song for me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and this woman said, no, my dad wrote the song for me. And, There's a little back and forth and ultimately this woman revealed that she was Nancy Silver and she was the daughter of Phil Silver uh, who had been a songwriter singer uh, actor and uh, and he wrote the song for her and then Frank Sinatra recorded it because he had a daughter named Nancy Sinatra. So it was this cute little story, you know, one of those classic little Hollywood tales but really in the in the moment Nancy's only te- my Nancy is only telling the story because she's trying to engage Mr. Sinatra in some pleasant way and he's kind of gently chuckling as she's telling the story but he's also pulling her in closer and closer and kind of his hands are getting a little roamy and and I'm 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 at a loss I, I I'm 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 freshly married to Nancy I'm in a place that I have no business being, I I am in a conversation with someone who has little to no interest in me, and I he's totally working my wife, and I and I I I don't know what to so I'm I'm sort of holding her hand and I'm getting ready to sort of if I, if need be, just sort of gently pull her away, and she finally does it herself. Of course, doesn't need me or my rescue, but like she. She pulls away from him and she finishes her story um, and says, you know, I just, I felt that I sh- you should know that, uh, that it, that actually there's some debate over who the real Nancy with the laughing face is. And he kind of chuckles and he looks at her and this is where he kind of lights up a little bit. And you you can see like, you can see that century of charisma, you know, still shining brightly. A little twinkle in his eye and he looks at her and he goes, sweetheart, I got something I want to give you. And in this moment, I'm like, oh, God, what is this? What's he going to give her? Is this where it's going to come to blows between me and the chairman of the board? But instead, he reaches into his leisure suit pocket and he pulls out a handful of food that he has been hoarding. He has some... Chocolate covered peanuts, what do you call them? Goobers. They're kind of sweaty in his hands. And he has this cookie. It's one of those like lace sugar cookies that he had picked up from the bar. And I guess because this was also in his pocket, the cookie has some dental floss stuck to it. (laughs) Okay. Jeez. So, sweetheart, I got something I want to give you. And he reaches his pocket and he pulls this out to hand it to her. And Nancy, ever the comedy writer, uh, sort of turned up her nose and she was like, oh, Frank. He goes, what? And she says, I don't like goobers. I don't want those goop. your sweaty goobers, but but I'll take the cookie. So he hands her the cookie, he pops the goobers in his mouth and then he wanders off. And uh, to this day, and you're, you, I'll just have to describe it for your listeners, but to yeah. this day we we have the cookie with the dental floss
0: oh my god
1: still attached to it uh which is in a frame Uh, we call it the uh the francis albert sinatra memorial Cookie cookie and doobie doobie dental floss uh and it's it's preserved for all eternity in our in a frame that we keep in our kitchen
0: wow that is a really that's the real (laughs) wow that's a that's amazing
1: (laughs) I don't know how amazing it is, but it was the kind of thing where I was like, she was like, should I throw it away? I was like, are you kidding me? No. So I shellacked it. I mounted it in this museum quality frame. Yeah, And we still proudly have the cookie to this day. And and the only footnote to this story uh, before I shut up and then you can ask me anything you'd like. Um, The footnote to the story is in classic Hollywood fashion, uh, the next day uh, the legendary uh, entertainment columnist, Army Archard, who wrote for many, many, many years uh, about all things Hollywood, had his standing column in Variety. And in his, in his column, he, he spoke about uh, an intimate little dinner party uh, at Tita Khan's in Beverly Hills with, uh, as he described it, a, a group of conversationalists. And uh, and he talked about Warren Beatty and then Benning being there and uh, Jack Nicholson, Billy Wilder and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Frank Sinatra, Tony Danza and uh, Cynthia McFadden, the journalist, Carol Little, the fashion designer, Jackie Collins, the Marvin Davises uh, and uh, Larry King and Cindy Garvey uh, and Jimmy Woods. And of course, Mace Newfeld, who was seeing Tita Khan, all for this lovely, intimate dinner party in Beverly Hills. And literally, the only two people not mentioned <laughs> were me and Nancy. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really one of those moments which, like Eyewitness to History, the book that I referenced earlier, it's one of those moments where you just realize sometimes the most important thing you can do is just sit back and, and be a witness to what's happening around you. And that's my story.
0: Wow. I feel, I kind of feel anxious. (laughs) (laughs) It's like like so intense. Uh, Yeah. I have many questions. I'll try I'll try to not, I mean, I could probably go all day asking questions. Had you, okay, so I was curious if, um, you know, since your father-in-law Mace worked in the industry prior to getting married and all that, Mm -hmm. had you gone to dinners where there were kind of high-level entertainers and whatnot before?
1: It's a good question. Uh, Not, I mean, look, if at my wedding, uh, through his friendships and relationships, you know, I, I was I'm still I'm proud to this day to say I had two cast members of Star Wars at my wedding. You know, I had James Earl Jones and Harrison Ford at my wedding, right? So Whoa. that's that was that was super awesome for a young dumb kid from Oklahoma who grew up loving Star Wars. Um you know, and Dick Clark was at our wedding and and you know, a number of other but but never So that was, but that was a part of Mace's world, right? That happened at our wedding because of Mace and because of his friendships and people who were there to pay their respects, you know, to, to him and his daughter and, and this marriage. But like, I never had I been in any sort of really close contact with, with folks of, of that caliber.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, so you go to this dinner and so you could, did you say like in hindsight, were you kind of naive to like thinking like, oh, like your your father-in-law's someone he's dating is just going to cook dinner Are you, it's,
1: yeah it's- I mean that's that's kind of what I thought or if I if I didn't expect Tita would be cooking I thought maybe a chef would be cooking or something and it would just be you know I mean here's the to to Mace's everlasting credit and certainly to his late wife Helens uh and and his his current wife Diane for that m- matter like Mace has always lived a, a really remarkably grounded life. Uh, I think it's one of the reasons why directors and writers gravitate toward him uh, so much over the years, is because he's a normal kid from the Bronx, you know, who grew up without a lot in the shadow of Yankee Stadium, and and you know is always about championing the artist and championing the the project, and not about the trappings of success and fame. So. You know, he's the person who is a very easy conversationalist and doesn't ever make you feel, you know, less than. So, you know that 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 was an interesting turn in his life for a little while. And I and I think it, again, no no disrespect to Tita, uh, who probably, if she ever knew I was telling the story, would would probably sue me and insist that I remove this. But but again, like she is an extraordinary woman who who we always loved being around just because she was really this great burst of positive energy that i think not only mace needed we all needed uh after after losing helen who was so irreplaceable so it was it was there was a call in mace's life at that point i think for just having having a cocktail party with frank sinatra you know and sort of sort of uh wallowing a little bit in the hollywood of it all just to, if only to distract you from you know what was happening in your in your regular life so yeah i mean definitely a first for me and not for him you know mace's known presidents and rock stars alike and 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 you know running a much higher crowd than i will ever run in but this was definitely a first for
0: for me. I was I was curious, like, because like, I was curious, like, you know, were you guys underdressed? Were you guys once you walked into the house? You're like, Oh, crap, what? What did we get ourselves into? Yeah, that's
1: a good question. I mean, we were definitely underdressed, if only because of the generational gap, right? So you Uh, know, yeah, Frank's in a leisure suit, but it's a suit. And same with Mr. Wilder, and same with Mr. King and his suspenders. And certainly with Marvin Davis and everybody, you know, everyone else is dressed in accordance with their success, I guess, is the best way to put it. And, you know, I'm sure I came in in a pair of jeans and some tennis shoes and a and a button down shirt or whatever, but which would have been acceptable for dinner at our house, but maybe not so much with the royalty.
0: <laughs> yeah. And no, I, mean, I don't know, like, uh, did you, During the dinner, dinner, did you get a chance to take Nancy aside and just compare notes? Or was it like literally eye contact back and forth across tables?
1: All we had was eye contact until dinner was finally over. Dessert and coffee had been served and we were ushered into the the bar, the living room area. And then we were finally able to be like, oh, my God, what just happened? Uh, (laughs) But before that, we were just separated, stuck at our own tables and trying to navigate uh, this bizarro fantasy world.
0: Uh yeah, I mean there I mean most of the stories about you know Sinatra and then like Larry King. I mean we're I mean Jack Nicholson was there and the <laughs> like Warren Beatty and that like there's other people of like very yeah. high yes um, and oh is Jimmy Woods James Woods are we talking about the same person yes
1: James Woods sorry uh um yeah James Woods yeah. there and and this was sort of in, this was this is obviously the uh, the mid nineties, so I don't know how politically active he had become at that point. It wasn't on our radar, so certainly no. not the, certainly not the James Woods of today.
0: Yeah, no, no, he's no, no he's definitely known <laughs> mid nineties, definitely known for way different things than he is mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it's like are these, all these people there and like, you know, your most of your interaction was like with Sinatra, Larry King, Billy Wilder, but uh, it's crazy that these are all these people are in the room and they all know each other like they're all friends.
1: Yeah, they're all friends and any one of them. I'm sure actually most of them as I think back on it probably had been interviewed by Larry King on one of his shows like that's but yeah, I mean, that that's the crowd they all ran with. And they all were comfortable in each other's, you know, massive celebrity company.
0: Yeah. It's just, not,
1: that's just not a club that we were members of.
0: <laughs> I mean, because I, I would say, yeah, like today and in the mid-90s, they, they were, those are kind of the, you know, top of the top as far as like notoriety success fame mm-hmm. uh I mean maybe I'm not just I'm not disrespecting Tony Danza I'm just saying he's not <laughs> he's not at like Jack Nicholson level is all I'm saying
1: no no definitely not I mean certainly a massive TV star but I would say yeah definitely on that list like we were we were still below Tony Danza let's be 100 clear but you know yeah. that night I think Tony Danza kind of his role was to to play piano. Kind of, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, one thing that I'm, I'm curious about is because you have you've had time to obviously look back at this story and whatnot yep. and think about it. But do you and, and and you have since now worked in the industry for a while and you've worked with actors and whatnot and and maybe you've worked with people who are on the rise of their career or are at the top of their career and all that stuff like when uh someone that's kind of quote an average person meets a celebrity they might admire and stuff like have you noticed you just tend to talk about the celebrity's own career to them like Mm. which is what you kind of you didn't know what Mm -hmm. else how to know else you didn't know how else to relate so you're like well i'm gonna tell you larry king a story kind of about yourself like
1: yeah i think that's i think that's accurate it's and 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 by the way i think that's why those folks naturally gravitate toward each other because then they can talk about anything but their careers and and they're used to having to do that all the time they're used to being solely identified through their work and so you know when they can go to somebody's nice house in Beverly Hills and just have dinner and a chat it's it's probably preferable to them um and yeah, as as you suggested, like over the years, uh, cause I really didn't have a whole lot going on in the mid nineties, but since then I've built a career of my own. And and so over time, you know, getting to know various actors or celebrities and then ultimately being able to actually call them my friends, yeah, that, that work side of their identity strips away right because each of us is a mansion in many rooms and and they are certainly not all their work any more than you and I are so you know over time you sort of settle into uh, the ability to, to see that which seems obvious but isn't always when you're when you're when you're confronted with you know celebrity or the trappings of wealth and fame but it's nice to it's it's nice to be able to I, you know y- you're making me realize that it would i wouldn't have the story to tell but i would love in my present day age and whatever wisdom i've managed to gather i would love to have another run at that dinner right and right. uh and and be able to probably a little bit more uh, confidently if not necessarily comfortably you know engage in different kinds of conversation and not be so caught up in the oh my gosh I love double indemnity thank you so much for that you know
0: but I guess like on the flip side what else are you gonna say you know <laughs> like what do you what else do you say because like unless you're super brazen or, or bold but I mean yeah if I you're mean, super, you know if you're intimidated you're like well I love your movie so I'm just gonna tell you this
1: yeah, I mean, I am a big believer in, I I, I say this to my, um, of my three kids, only my daughter hasn't an, any interest in being in the business, but I, I've repeatedly said to her what I also say to my students a lot at USC, which is like, when you have that opportunity, if you meet somebody who has inspired you in some way, you should, you should say so, you should let them know um, that never gets old for them to hear and you should use that opportunity and I I still believe in that, but, but I also wish like I could sit with Billy Wilder again and I could just, you know, talk to him about his youth or, you know, find, find some sort of common ground experience that we, that we might've had that I'll never know because I, I just made it all about the work. That's all I had. That's all I had to talk about at that point.
0: Um, yeah, I guess if you can Divulge. I I know you already at the start said so you're probably getting in trouble for this. So I feel like, <laughs> were there any? But was there anyone you were surprised that they're they were different than what you perceived their like outward persona to be? Like you know, hmm. was or was Nicholson pretty Nicholson? Was Larry King super Larry King? You know, yeah, like I
1: would say they were pretty much on point. Um, I I couldn't have claimed to know Marvin Davis. Uh, you know i mean talk about a circle that i would never be a part of uh you know i just don't hang with billionaires uh but you know that so that but even even that like i guess that maybe this is just my casting but even 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 marvin davis seemed to be playing his role like the, the he was a large man and he you know he just felt like he felt like the billionaire at the table you know? yeah uh, the unapproachable uh, person who lives uh sort of in a in the land of entitlement, I guess. Not that he didn't earn it, but like this is he just lived on a different planet. They all lived on their own different planets in terms of you know that wealth and that fame. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know that there was anybody there that that didn't match up with who I. Th- who their what their public persona was, Uh, Mm. other than other than Frank, you know, at that point, Frank had retired from performing. And so he wasn't, you know, the cameras weren't on him the way they were. So he didn't have to shine. And that's what I mean by like, uh, that's the palpable energy that existed in Frank was just this I'm done. I'm I'm I don't need to put on a show anymore. And if that if that means I got to be a little aggressive to get some water, fine. If that means i'm 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 gonna push another guy aside when there's songs being played at the piano because this is my number, I no apologies, you know just yeah. like and maybe that's common also of of men and women of a certain age when they get to that place of like i I, I don't have anything left to prove. <laughs> I don't know
0: it it feels uh on point with what I imagined the rat pack to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like he, he kind of carried, you know. I mean, people can argue who, who like the main guy of the Rat Pack was, but oh, I, w- I, I would say it's Sinatra. Yeah, oh, I would say.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, they who's weren't. your? Yeah.
1: Everyone else was orbiting his his yeah. his stardom. Uh.
0: So you know, I guess he carried himself in that way at this dinner, like in <laughs> sort of like a an alpha an alpha role.
1: That's right. I, I know who I am. You know who I am. Yeah, stay out of the way <laughs> uh, that
0: man i don't know that that's sort of like do you do you uh i feel like you vividly remember this dinner like images and pictures of the the meal and stuff
1: yeah no question because again you're like you're 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 it's sensory overload your your mind is just flooded with you know it's just anxiety. It was the nervousness of like, "Ah, I wasn't prepared for this. And and by the way, if you'd told me in advance who was, I was going to be sitting at dinner with, it probably would have been even worse. Mm. But, you know, I I definitely was just so keenly aware of the greatness of each of these individuals and humbled by it, impressed by it, uh, inspired by it, but also terrified by it and 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 there's also a there's a sort of we're not worthy you know the classic you know uh wayne's world kind of response where you're just you feel like you're supposed to just throw yourself to the floor a little bit
0: um i want i uh i did want to uh i guess ask like a final question or two uh uh I'll, i'll do the standard question last but the second the penultimate question is um visually did they look like stars like do you know what i mean like maybe because you've you obviously you've worked with Mm -hmm. people and and you know some are your friends and Mm -hmm. you know when you're hanging out uh whatever at a not not at a restaurant because we're in covet times but Mm -hmm. you're hanging out on zoom with someone and Mm -hmm. you know they they look perhaps unassuming or you don't think that they're so-and-so but like was there no doubt Warren Beatty is looked like a star or Nicholson or Annette Bening or yeah, Jackie um, Collins has a certain look. I'm actually, yeah,
1: no, definitely. I definitely. actually
0: oddly know a lot about her career and ah, uh, she well, has good. a certain look too. Yeah. She has a certain vibe and you're like, that's a star. Like that person looks like a star.
1: Yeah. So, I mean that you, you should have been at her table. You, you would have been able to hold your own. Um, Yeah. I mean, they were, they were, They were dressed up uh, by by average person standards. Certainly they were dressed for a Friday night dinner in Beverly Hills. So, you know, they were, they were, and and also, you know, look, stars just tend to be fairly well groomed because they never know when they're going to be. On camera, or whether it's uh, on set camera, or it's paparazzi, whatever they they always tend to just look a little better. But yeah, I mean, they all they all looked like stars because they were all just major international stars. So it's hard to. Yes, you're right. I've been around certain stars or celebrities when they're comfortable and they're you know t shirt and jeans in their living room or whatever and then you can kind of dial back that awareness and they feel a little more normal or average but i think because of the the sheer star power and the the beverly hills dinner party of it all they they all definitely felt like the stars that they were
0: yeah it it feels like it feels like they came to play you know mm-hmm. you you were not you were not disappointed with <laughs> <laughs> what that's you true. saw um but yeah i i mean i i've asked i asked you this uh on the first your first appearance on the podcast when you told your ghost facer stories for mm-hmm. all the supernatural fans um but yeah I, I just like asking i mean this is a little bit of a different variation because like how do you feel telling another story that's never been publicly told which could get you i guess in a little bit of heat with the certain people in your life or not, or maybe people will love it. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you how I feel. I, I think this is what sort of helped make it easier for me to tell this story. You know, my, my father-in-law is now 92 years old. Uh, and even though he's still active and, you know, smart as a whip, uh, you know, I, this is a generation of of stars and Hollywood filmmakers that, you know, have long since begun the process of passing the baton to those who will replace them ultimately. And, you know, I, I will never forget being in a grocery store a couple of days after Bob Hope, uh, the comedy legend, had passed away. I think he was 100 years old. And there was, you know, one of the classic checkout counter gossip rags uh, at the at the checkout counter that had a, a very unflattering photo of bob hope in the last year of his life and there were two young teenager preteen girls that were checking out just ahead of me and one of them picked up this National Enquirer or whatever it was and sort of thumped at the picture of the scary old man and said, Ooh, look at him. He's gross. And then the other girl said, yeah, who is Bob Hope anyway? And in that, in that moment, and by the way, Bob Hope was a star, not even from my generation. He was a generation or two before mine, but I certainly knew who he was and he was one of the biggest stars I knew growing up. Uh, But it was, it was a stark, abrupt reminder of the impermanence of fame and, and how, how swiftly, you know, those great personalities fade and how rare it is for someone to, you know, it, I call it the, 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 Mona Lisa effect, right? Like how rare it is for, or, or, or yeah, how, how rare it is for to create any kind of art that's going to outlive you by centuries, right? Are people still going to be singing Paul McCartney's yesterday? A hundred years from now, um, already people have forgotten. There's a generation, probably a couple of generations of people who have forgotten who Bob Hope was. So, how long will it be before Frank Sinatra is forgotten, or Larry King, or or Warren and Annette, or Jack Nicholson? And I would like to think they'll never be for, forgotten, but I know better. You know, I have I have three young adult children who have stars of their own. Um, and yeah. they're not my stars <laughs> in, in many cases. So, so I, I think that that sort of collective awareness is what makes me a little bit more willing to tell this kind of story now, because before it's forgotten and before the individuals at the heart of it, who were such huge stars to me are no longer stars in the eyes of those who replaced them.
0: Yeah, that's, uh think that's a nice 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 sentimental or kind positive way to end. you know we can you got to you got to witness uh these amazing performers and entertainers that you know have been parodied i think that's a form of flattery too like you know a parody of sinatra or nicholson it's like a lot of ways flattering and showing like how memorable these these entertainers are so no question uh yeah so uh thanks to you thanks to twitter thanks to scotch thanks to uh, just <laughs> not giving any f's either and like sharing the story <laughs> on of all podcast minds so uh thanks so much trey
1: the pleasure was absolutely mine hey if you'd like
0: to know when our next new episode comes in it's easy you can subscribe for the best way i
1: never
0: told that's right on itunes spotify google play or stitcher